0: Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 28 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. We appreciate all of your support, and we're just so excited to be in every state in the U.S., and now over 40 countries, and that comes from all of you sharing and passing along our episodes. We just really appreciate it. Today, I had the opportunity to talk to Carol Oliver, who is a Certified Prevention Specialist and the Director of Prevention Solutions at EDC. Carol directs, designs, and provides substance abuse prevention training and technical assistance activities that build national capacity to advance the strategic prevention framework of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, also known as SAMHSA. She has more than 20 years of experience in the field of substance use prevention and specializes in translating research into innovative, evidence-based, and culturally appropriate prevention programs. She builds relationships with colleagues at the national, state, and community level to facilitate program planning, coalition development, training design, and implementation, fostering system-level change. She was a really fun interview, and I think that you are going to enjoy this episode. Well, today I have Carol Oliver, who's a Certified Prevention Specialist working with EDC, but I'll let her tell you a little bit more about that on the show, and I'm so excited to have you on, Carol. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, why don't you let people know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll launch into some fun questions uh, that I came up with to talk all about prevention.
1: That sounds great. That sounds great. Well, you know, it's funny. So I've been a prevention specialist um, for, I did the math recently for about 28 years, right? So I started in 1990. Um, And it was really when prevention, substance abuse prevention was really still in the schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And I originally was not planning on doing this for a living. I actually have a degree in education and history, and I was planning on being a teacher. Um, and uh, I got a job working at a prevention center, and one of the things that we would do is do teaching in schools to teachers, Um, and I figured that would then, like, give me the context to get a real, you know, to get a history job, but I fell in love with what I was doing, you know, I just, I fell in love with just working with schools, but also the whole idea of prevention, you know, helping people understand what substance misuse or substance use disorders, what schools can do, programs, approaches, you know, what's a comprehensive approach. And then pretty soon the field changed and it started moving into the community. And so it wasn't just schools, but it was coalitions. And there were grants coming from the federal government that would establish these large community coalitions. So I, I started working with them. And, and uh, in my study. I had studied international relations. So it was fascinating to sort of figure out what applied and and how whole communities can sort of tackle these really complex social problems that really make a difference. Uh, And I was able to see communities over time. So let's say over five, six, seven years and really see from where they started, knowing there was a problem to really being able to impact it and seeing really committed groups of people coming together to try to figure out what to do. So that's how I, you know, that's how I kind of got started in the field and why I continued in the field.
0: That's fascinating. One of the things that I've notice is that once a coalition kind of identifies a problem, especially when it comes to a policy that needs to be changed or something in the community, I think oftentimes in the prevention field people do want that quick fix. And things like policy take so much longer to work at. It's not a quick fix. It's not something that happens overnight. It's a long process. So like keeping people engaged and excited and part of the work during a long process. Do you have any Just thoughts around that and how to get folks that are newer to the coalition world, you know, to still be engaged and excited in the process when you're doing something really difficult like policy work
1: yeah I think you know, and I think there's a lot of lessons in you know i think there's a lot of lessons in tobacco around that right because people seem to get really excited about tobacco policy mm-hmm. right I mean there was a lot of change of policy, and people seem to really stand uh on board with that and um um and i and I think one one of the the points that you hit upon is making sure that there's a connection. Um, and the other thing is readiness and timing. So if I worked with a coalition and they were sort of at information changes behavior and we wanna educate you know, kids, I might not introduce the idea of policy yet to them because that's, that's not where they are. That's the, They have to kind of grow in their understanding and their thinking. And so there is a piece I think with doing policy that goes hand in hand with the readiness of the coalition to do policy. Um, and it reminds me of there was a you know there was a, a coalition that I knew of and you know they really were ready to do policy and the community really rebelled and mm-hmm. they were like we don't want this and so what they did instead is they realized they needed to do a whole you know they needed to do a whole piece about uh, making people aware and so they did this whole awareness campaign for two years that really made people understand and get excited and and raise awareness and then they worked on the policy and I think the other piece is you know doing your homework and understanding who the key players are and understanding who's going to have to make that decision of the policy and who's involved and who are my champions and my stakeholders there's something actually really kind of exciting and fun about doing policy um, and maybe it's my international relations you know history politics side you know mm-hmm. coming out um, but there is some sort of exciting things that that can happen with it. The other way it can be exciting is to involve youth um, and to actually get youth involved in you know really sort of um, advocating for the for the policy and working with a coalition to do that and having it being a part of a youth movement. Um, so I really do think in making sure there 's readiness in the coalition for them to embrace it sort of you know, making sure there's a lot of groundwork done. I mean, policy is a lot of that community buy-in and it's, you know, making sure you understand, you know, is this the right time? Who should pass this policy? How is that gonna, what are the ramifications? Can it be enforced? and while doing that just keeping you know keeping the coalition informed and keeping them excited about the topic so it may be that the coalition is also doing other things Mm -hmm. that the members are excited about while the while the policy piece is going on I mean I think that's something always challenging about coalitions. some of the things so you know the implementation of a program in a school if I'm a coalition you know member that's nice but it's not why I'm sitting at your table every every week right? right you know I want Want to be involved in other efforts you're doing. Um, and so I think that's one of the, one of the you know, challenges as well as, you know, one of the thrills is of coalitions is being able to have this balance between doing the things we really know that work while keeping your members really excited and engaged with what they're interested in. And, and that can be, as I'm sure you know, that can be a tough balance.
0: Yeah, I know one thing um, that we're really looking forward to. So in our coalition, I've been part of their group for the last eight years and I just find it really helpful just working even with your group and just having a different set of eyes because I think sometimes the things that we've been doing for a while it just you know you kind of can get a little bit stagnant and wonder what what you need to do next and I'm not saying that's necessarily what's happened but I just I think it's so important time to time to bring in other people that are going to have a Different viewpoint, I guess, and um, I know that's something that you all have done quite a bit of.
1: Yeah, I have. I have felt, you know, I've done a, I've done a, you know, uh, a lot of you know, planning or being brought into coalitions to sort of do organizational planning. You know, the different times I've been brought in is sometimes when somebody's getting off the ground, you know, they, they've received some money or there's a, there's a group that's really concerned, and they want to do some initial planning around who are we and what are we, and, and and so there's that sort of planning that you do. And then there's also what I call the the annual checkup. You know, I think coalitions that are really strong are those that – recognize that coalition is fluid. It's made up of people who choose to be there, that don't have to be there. Um, And uh, there's a lot of dynamics that go into it. And so it's helpful to have an annual checkup to sort of take pulse of what's going on, what's been going on over the last year, what's been accomplished, You know, what are the strengths? What are the areas we want to improve? So I've done um, that kind of work. Um, And then I've also been brought in when when coalitions are really struggling. And actually, that's some of my most favorite time to be brought in. Um, And the reason is, is oftentimes there are things that are going on. And sometimes I find when coalitions are struggling, it's almost like they're in a growing pain situation. You know, they have gone so far and, and the membership is sort of ready to go to the next place, and and the way you know that is, you know, people are no longer content with where the mission is, or they want to take on other projects that are not traditionally taken on, or, you know, people want more leadership, and the structure of the coalition is not giving them the opportunities, and so sometimes when a coalition is growing, it will come across as if it's struggling. Um, and and so I always find that really, you know, I'm very honored when I get brought into those situations. And honestly, a lot of what I do is listening um, and also providing opportunities for the coalition to reflect upon itself. Um, so, you know, an example is. If um, one of the activities that I've done with coalitions that have been around for a while is sort of this history activity where you are able to look at sort of the history of the coalition as a group, Um, newer members are able to understand the past, and you're able to sort of find the coalition story Mm. and what's really been working and what are some of the elements that you may want to change? What's that new chapter, you know, going to look like? Or for some coalitions, it may be that, you know, some of the structural pieces, how decision-making is happening and how membership is happening and all of that. And so there are activities you can do that allow people to sort of look at those and sort of almost you know, on a scale of one to five, you know, how well are we doing, and then pick the ones that are going really strong and the ones that aren't, and then work on those. So a lot of my planning with coalitions is really coming up with activities that allow the entire coalition to sort of diagnose and analyze itself and come to conclusions, both on what's going on, but how do we solve it, Um, one of the mistakes that I've seen coalition leaders make is that they'll feel these growing pains, they'll feel things aren't going right, and they'll attempt to solve them themselves, Mm -hmm. Uh, very well-meaning. But in the solution, because they're only doing it from their vantage point, oftentimes it doesn't solve the problem, but creates new problems. Um, And so that's why bringing somebody in who can sort of step back and work with you and really allow the group to sort of analyze itself uh, can be really helpful in doing some troubleshooting and problem solving.
0: That's fascinating. I think it really does help too when somebody kind of discovers the aha for themselves instead of being told, hey, this is your problem. I mean, that, that seems so true in even working with young people you know if you come across and you're telling them the answers it's not as powerful as when they discover some of the answers for themselves and the solutions for themselves it's just so much more powerful
1: yeah and one one of the things i really like about that is and i like this part about facilitation is i don't know the answer right mm-hmm. I don't know what's right for you. And sometimes I don't know exactly the dynamics of the problem. Sometimes I have an inkling of what might be going on, Um, but I love the unknown, right? I love the fact that there's this group of people and the amount of aha moments that people come up with is fascinating. Um, and um, and and I just you know I I really I really enjoy that and um, and I think it really does make a difference that the group determines what its issues there are problems and then comes up with solutions. I had a group that I worked with, which was actually a group of artists who were doing substance abuse prevention. And one of the issues they had is they were feeling very very chaotic, um, like everything was all over the place. And so when I worked with them, what the issue was was that. They were very against the word structure, and you know they wanted things to be very free, um, but without having any structure, they you know really were feeling like things weren't organized. And so we needed to come up with a structure that didn't feel like structure for them. Right. And they actually created that. You know that that was something that was one of their principles, and so they were able to do something that worked for the group that didn't feel too restraining for them. Um, You know, another example is I had a a coalition and the problem that was uh, was coming up was that people were feeling very disconnected um, and the communication wasn't going well. And, you know, as we we dove into it and looked at what was going on, it turned out that the whole coalition was only meeting once a year um, and that everybody was in these subcommittees. And so, you know, what they realized was that, you know, that's not really working. It's very efficient in getting work done but it's not really feeding our coalition members and, you know, the communication is really only one way. Um, and so they readjusted how they ran meetings and, and how, and it made such a world of difference for them.
0: Yeah. I love too that you use activities, you know, because oftentimes you go into a coalition and, you know, I've I've seen so many meetings where it's one person that does all the talking and, um, just for me like I can see that members really become disengaged when it's one person that does kind of all the talking so talk to me a little bit about like the activities and reasons why um, you know you've designed and developed some of those activities and just kind of the impact on making it more of an activity-based meeting rather than a reporting
1: yeah well, and again, I have the advantage of you know when I come in i 'm sort of the outside like facilitator right i'm the, i'm the person who's for those one or two meetings sort of you know creating and 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 helping to craft an agenda that multiple people have to buy into it 's not like i 'll just come and do it myself without whomever is having me come in like you know reviews what we're hope you know what they want to accomplish and how. But the way we get there is I often make suggestions about doing that. So an example would be, you know, oftentimes groups want to review their goals, right? They want to kind of say, this is what we were doing last year. Um, and oftentimes that's done on paper. And, and I've done activities where you sort of put all of the different goals um, up, so we imagine a flip chart paper with each one, and then the group sort of puts in all the activities that go for all the goals, and they create that themselves. And then you stand back and you look at it, and oftentimes what you find is that there are too many goals and too few activities for each goal. And as people stand back, they're like, you know what, we need to consolidate these or, you know what, we're really just working on these three goals, but we haven't really, even though we say we do those. And again, if you were just looking at it on a blank piece of paper, you wouldn't see it. You know, you wouldn't have that same sort of cognitive aha moment. Now, what you do about it is then the group gets to sort of figure out and solve those sorts of problems. So that's kind of an example of rather than doing something on a flat piece of paper. I mean, the best example, I think, is the idea of writing missions. So I think oftentimes people think writing a mission is really, you know, I just need this thing. I have a coalition. I need a vision statement. I need a mission mm-hmm. statement. I have it. Um, but really, mission statement writing is really about the group defining itself. Um, And so doing a mission activity where people are, are thinking about the who, the what, the why, the when, and who are we is really essential for them defining the group. So mission statement writing to me isn't just an activity. It's not just a, you know, check it off your box. It defines your group. And I worked with one group where after they finished the process, they realized they were two separate groups. They had been struggling for a really long time and fighting and arguing and whatever. And it turned out that they had... You know, half the group wanted one mission, the other one another, and they were very different missions. And I think in their case, they actually broke into two separate groups and, you know, did really well that way. Um, But it took the mission kind of group process to sort of get them there.
0: So true, and I think coalitions change over the years, right? I mean, as new people come to the table, um, you know, yes, it's important to remind them of, like, why they're here, but, like, sometimes the issues in the community look different than they did in the past, and there's a new group of people that may be more passionate about one part than another. Would you agree, or? Oh, yeah, and, you know, I
1: I have this analogy, it's like, you know, new relationships, Need work, but so too do long standing relationships. They just need sometimes different kinds of work, right? Mm. Uh, but they both equally need as, as, as much work. You have to attend, you know, you need to attend to a garden that's been a long, around for a long time and one that's new and it just needs different types of attention. Um, and I think sometimes groups that have been around for a long time, so it doesn't get stale and stagnant, it's really important that you have that rejuvenation and that you learn from things in the past. And also there's room to bring in members. You know, years ago I went to a training that was sort of coalitions and organizational development. And this the trainer did a whole piece about open groups and closed groups mm-hmm. And she did it very experientially, and it was really interesting, and it really was a great lesson about if you want to expand your membership, you need to make sure the people who are there are open and are not giving these subconscious messages that we're really closed. We've been here a long time together, and you have to kind of abide by what we say, and you kind of have to come sit with us. Um, And so that's another thing. When people are trying to expand membership, it's not just about inviting people to the table. There's a lot of internal work about, are you ready to expand your membership? What do you want from these new people? Are you ready for them to say things you may not like? You know, do you want them to just fit into what you're doing or do you want them to also help shape what this is all about? Um, And so you need to be prepared for that and ask some of those questions because, you know, if you want people to fit into the way you are right now, you may find with membership you don't do as well trying to expand because people want to join things that they can also help shape.
0: Wow, that's great advice. I was recently part of a group and they're really struggling with that very thing. And um, different members of the group went around that are newer and they just really shared I've only been here for a few months, but it feels like a very closed group. It feels like you all have known each other for years and you're doing your thing. And those people were surprised when other members around the table were like, no, I just started this group right before you did. Um, But, you know, having that space to talk about the experience of the group and, you know, being conscientious of new members and how they feel when they come, that's just really, really great advice.
1: Yeah, and, and one thing I find too with coalitions that work, especially on the leadership level that work really well is they've done a certain amount of members getting to understand their, you know, their learning style and their personality style. So in other words, you know, some people are very, product focus. I want to do this activity and this activity and this activity. And they're great at getting stuff done. And other people are very processy. I'm really great at planning. Mm -hmm. Understanding who's a planner and understanding who's a getting things done person is really important. Also for the balance. Like if I've got a bunch of people who are all planners and not very many doers, it's really going to shift the way we approach the work. Or if I have all doers and not very many planners, it's going to shift the work. And oftentimes when I've been brought in, that was one One of the ahas that I came away with is, and I've done activities where people can sort of look at this, the group can look at this dynamic. um, And when they're wondering why it feels like nothing gets done, well, sometimes it's because you've got a really hard, significant amount of planners or why we just feel like we're in an activity trap. Sometimes it's about needing to recruit people and also increase the amount of people who are planners in the room. And it also means when things start happening and people get frustrated, they can make fun of it. Like, ugh, I know I'm an activity person, but we're just not doing enough. You know, it can be built into the conversations people have with each other and can really sort of help to work through some of those dynamics.
0: One of my friends uh, that was on the podcast, uh, he calls it a visionary processor and a doer. And he um, really helped me to understand just that piece alone. Um, we had our coalition kind of go through an activity to identify like which people there were. And it was funny, our um, police officers in the room were very much doers. They wanted to know what what is the project, tell me what you want to do and when I need to be there. And we were working on like mission and vision statements and they were like, just let me know when you finish that part and we'll let you know if we, uh, we like it or not. But I don't want to sit in a room for two hours and discuss the mission statement.
1: Exactly. That kind of backs into an activity I've done with groups. I've done it in the beginning and I've done it when someone's sort of doing this like annual checkup thing or when they have a lot of new members and I, and I call it the bottom line. And so it's sort of like the question is, um, if you were to stay in this group for another three or four meetings, another three or four months, bottom line, what has to happen for you? Mm. And so some people are like the meetings have to start on time. Other people are like, we have to move to action in three meetings. Um, And what you do is it really gives you a sense of what people are looking for to keep them at the table. And that's what you try to shoot for, right? You try to shoot for the bottom line across, right? So, okay, I I know I need to have very organized meetings and I need to have minutes because people need to know. I also need to move, move to action, but we need to have time for people to network, to get, you know, to be able to get their own needs met. And it's really helpful because it kind of says, okay, this is what we're, this is what we kind of need across all the members. I mean, it's very cliche to say, but, you know, people go to tables and help when they're getting fed like literally and figuratively when they're comfortable when they understand what they need to do and they have relationships with people and they're getting fed and people tend to go away when they're not getting fed or when they're feeling uncomfortable or you know and and are reasons for that so I always find that activity really helpful uh, helpful
0: Oh, that's great. I know that people who are listening are going to want to know more about you and just how they can get in touch with your organization. What's the What's the best place for people to reach you at or to learn more about uh, what you're doing with Prevention Solutions?
1: Sure. So people can um, people can write uh, or email me, and it's you know Carol Oliver at E as in Edward D as in davidc.org. And then the uh, project that I work on is, it's a, we do consultation and training around um, substance misuse prevention. Um, and it's at prevention solutions.edc.org. Um, and so I'm the director, and we also have online courses. Um, we work with states. We work with communities. We are fee for service. Um, we prior to that, um, Education Development Center had a national contract called the um, Center for the Application of Prevention Technology. And when that ended, uh, we really all wanted to continue doing the kind of services that we did. We had learned a lot. We thought we still had a lot to offer. So we launched the prevention solutions at EDC. So you can get in touch with me here. Check out our website. um, And we're also good for referrals for other things. So if we don't have it or know, we may know somebody else who does. And, you know, at heart, we're technical assistance providers. We're consultants. So we love to help people, right? Like networking is our thing. (laughs) Hooking you up with the right people. So that's how people can get in touch with me.
0: And we can add all those links uh, in the show notes. And as a side note, I took your online uh, ethics class for prevention specialists, and it was really fun um, and easy to use. And um, I have found it very useful.
1: That's excellent.
0: Well, and I think I think one of the
1: challenges for people who do this kind of work is it's not like I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't take a course course in substance misuse prevention. I mean, I didn't really know what public health was back then, right? And so I think many people stumble into the profession from lots of other different fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think one of the things we're really dedicated is that whole workforce development and how do I get the knowledge and skills I need to be able to do this work. And I know I got it on the job, you know, and I got it from working with people who were like really great. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think the emphasis on, you know, as the workforce is growing, which it is, we need to make sure that people are getting access to kind of the information and the skills and whatever that they need. So I'm glad you liked the course. That's great.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you guys are super busy and I just appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us and just share your experience with, uh, the rest of the listeners out there on our podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm very honored to have been on. Thank you very much.
0: For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.